As the Christmas season winds down and we celebrate uh, a new year that is upon us, it's always an opportunity to look back a little bit on the past year and to reflect. So as you do that, if you haven't done that already or if you plan on spending the, the first week of the new year doing that, as you look back, did you do all of the things that you said you were going to do? Some of us have a, a habit of, of setting goals or things that we want to achieve each year, and we tell others about them. So as you look back in the last year, did you do the things that you said you wanted to do? And remember that at the start of last year was kind of a unique year, coming out of a pandemic. There were a lot of, of different things that maybe we wanted to tackle as we kind of returned to a little bit of normalcy at the beginning of 2022. Some of the things that we learned from a, a pandemic maybe led us to say, I am not going to go back to that crazy, hectic schedule of thinking that I have to fill every hour of every day with activities for me or for my family. We're going to, to create margin and just slow down a little bit. Or maybe you felt like having been almost robbed of, of months, even a couple of years of your life, that you were going to take on that thing that you had been putting off too long, that thing that you always wanted to do, and last year was the year you were going to do it and not waste any more time. Maybe it was the year that you were finally going to get to that someday project that maybe has been a someday project for many, many years. So as you look, you look back, you ask that question, did you do all the things that you said you were going to do? in 2022. Me neither. On some level, all of us share that. We all have a little bit of unfinished business, and, and I would imagine that when we think of or consider the things that we didn't get done that we said we were going to do, maybe we fall into one of three categories of people. For one of us, we're in that category of we'll get it done eventually. It is just a matter of time. It's not like we're putting it off or avoid it. We're people who get things done. For one reason or another, it didn't get done, but it will. Or maybe you're in the second category of people that almost as soon as you said you were going to do something, you forgot you said it. Or if you haven't yet, you will forget that you said it. Or maybe you're in a third category of people that actually is going to spend more time the rest of your life convincing yourself that someday you'll do that thing than actually taking any action to do that thing itself. Now, regardless of which of those categories you might place yourself in, along with any unfinished list or obligation or promise that we made to others or to ourselves, there comes a, a little bit of emotional attachment to that thing. If you are a person who is, who is driven and ambitious and there's anything on your, your list that didn't get done, something you said you were going to do and you didn't, you're probably a little bit ticked. You're probably a little bit angry that you didn't get it done. And then there are many of us that are probably just as carefree or flexible. If you get something done, great. That's good. But it's not the end of the world if you don't or didn't get after it. And then there's also that feeling that I think probably many of us can relate to, the struggle and frustration of feeling like this is a repeated pattern in your life. You, you say you want to get something done, you want to make some change, 
and it doesn't get done, and nothing changes. Regardless of, of which of those emotions, those attitudes or feelings describe you, I have good news for you this morning. Christmas is about completion. We have in Jesus a Savior who was born into this world to act, to take action on our behalf. We have a, a Savior who is not like a politician who will say whatever needs to be said to gather a following or establish his platform only to fail to deliver on the goods. We don't have a Savior who is interested in sound bites and, and catchphrases and nothing else. We don't have a Savior who, who makes empty promises. We have a Savior who acts, who takes action on our behalf. And Isaiah described that Savior in our, our words from chapter 63 this morning. And what's even more fascinating about Isaiah is he didn't just describe or refer to the, the actions that our Savior would take, but he even goes a step before that and describes the attitude behind them. What drives Jesus to feel the way that he does and, and to take action on our behalf? As you heard those words, there were a number of them that stood out, but, but three descriptions of our Savior, compassion, love, and mercy. Compassion, love, and mercy. Would you use those three words, any one of them, to describe our society today? Would you say that, that we are filled with compassion, that, that love is what drives us, that mercy is what we see everywhere we look? Would you say that you could use a description, uh, any one of those, to describe yourself? If you're like me, I would like to think that maybe one or two of those would apply to me, compassion, love, mercy, that that's how people would describe me. But as I look back on the last year and go back way before that, I have to say that those aren't really the, the earmarked characteristics of my life. Far too often, callousness has replaced compassion. In place of love, lovelessness or indifference. Instead of mercy for others, I'm more focused on me and making sure that when others do wrong, they get what's coming to them. So no, these aren't a description that, that really applies to us. And yet Isaiah is very clearly saying, this is what drives your Savior, compassion and love and mercy. And remember why that's so important, because God is not just concerned with outward external actions for the sake of taking action. A good thing done for the wrong reason in God's eyes is still a wrong thing. It's not good if it's not done from a, a holy, pure heart for all the right reasons. Obedience out of obligation doesn't measure up to the compassion-driven compliance that God calls us to. And yet in Jesus we have a Savior who, who acted on our behalf and did so because he was driven by a perfect, holy love for his Father and for mankind. His outward actions were merely a reflection of, of an inward heart that was holy and pure. So it's these emotions, these attitudes that drive Jesus. And not only that, I, I want to make sure that you don't miss another description that Isaiah shares with us about the Lord and how he feels toward his people. Because I, I think there are a lot of skeptics or those outside of Christianity that wouldn't see the Lord, that wouldn't see Jesus this way. 
In verse 9, he describes the Lord as saying, in all their distress, he too was distressed. Which is to say, when you hurt, your Savior hurts. That doesn't doesn't necessarily fit for the skeptic or, or the, the, the doubtful individual on the outside of Christianity looking in because they see a world that is filled with hatred and hurt and, and it doesn't harmonize with a loving God. How could such a God live and exist in a world where there's hatred and hurt? But why is it that we would have to draw the conclusion that simply because hatred and hurt exist in this world that, that it means God's okay with it or that he doesn't care about it? or that he's indifferent toward it. When Scripture says the exact opposite. And right here, Isaiah describes the Lord as, as hurting when we hurt. So your, your Savior who came to be born, all the things that he did on your behalf are, are driven by the right reason, the right attitude of heart. And as important as that is, if that was it, it wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't move the needle far enough forward for any of us just to read in Scripture how God feels about us. There has to be action, doesn't there, behind that attitude, behind the way that he feels toward us. And you experience this as well. You know, when when somebody expresses well wishes for you, to you, when somebody says, I I hope for the best, or when you are grieving or, or mourning, somebody expresses condolences or they're sorry for your loss. Those words, they help, don't they? But those words also take on or carry a little bit more weight when they are accompanied by action. When somebody doesn't only say, I hope this for you or I wish this for you, but does or carries out some sort of gesture or action that supports those words, it adds a a certain amount of weight and it builds trust, doesn't it? If you consider two people as you're going through some scenario, some situation in life, both of whom offer you words of encouragement or concern, whatever it might be, and along with those words expressed, they also share with you their intent to do something for you. Only one of them does. That doesn't mean that the words of the individual who didn't follow through are unappreciated. But when those words are accompanied by action, it makes things hit a little bit differently, doesn't it? We might, we might even say actions amplify attitude. When there are, are words, that's wonderful. They're appreciated. When there are actions to support those words, those words take on a new meaning. And you notice that Isaiah described the actions that our Savior would take. Listen to all the different phrases that Isaiah is really praising in these verses 7 to 9. The kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, all that the Lord has done for us, the many good things, his many kindnesses, he saved, came to be a savior, he redeemed, he had mercy, he lifted them up, he carried them. All of these are action words. All of these describe things that the Lord did or would do in the eyes of Isaiah for his people. That we have a a Savior who isn't just interested in saying, here's how I feel about you, but here's what I plan to do about it as well. Here's the action that I will take. My actions will amplify my attitude. And God's 
chosen people, the Israelites, the, the Jewish people, have a history of taking time to reflect, to look back, and to remember all of the actions that their Lord took on their behalf. They still do this today. They've, they've always done it. They look back and, and go back to even the days of the patriarchs when God guarded and guided the patriarchs, keeping them so that through them He could establish the foundation of His, his holy nation, the, the chosen people of Israel. And then through that, God also cared enough about His people to take action protecting and raising up Moses to be the leader through whom the Lord would deliver them out of oppression and slavery from Egypt and then out of, as they came out of Egypt, to split the Red Sea and then swallow up Pharaoh's army with that same Red Sea. The same God who took action on behalf of His people to provide for all of their needs miraculously with bread from heaven in the desert. The same God who didn't just promise them a special land, but then gave them victory to, to remove their enemies so that they could secure the promised land. Same God who, who was with and always promises to be with His people. They have a custom of looking back and seeing what compassion and love and mercy look like in action. And again, as, as Christmas winds down and we begin a new year, we can do the same thing. We look back and all of the, all of the, the records, the accounts that, that the Israelites looked back and reflected on, we also can take great joy and comfort because God took action on our behalf in those ways as well so that the Savior could be born on Christmas. And it is through that Savior and specifically through faith in Him that God has opened our eyes to see just how good He has been to us, just how much care and providence he is responsible for in our lives. You look back just on the last week, and doesn't it seem each and every year that, that the Christmas tree just isn't large enough to fit all of the presents underneath it anymore that spill out and start to take over the room? And maybe you've noticed how difficult it is to go Christmas shopping for other people because everybody has everything today. You look back, not just on the last year, but you see how good God is to us, how abundantly He provides for us. And think of the ups and downs as well, the worries about work, the stress over school, the dread of doctors and appointments. And yet here you are. Your compassionate, loving, merciful God has carried you through all of those to bring you into yet another new year of grace. As amazing as it is that God has taken and continues to take action on your behalf to provide for all of your physical needs, He didn't come into this world only to meet those needs, just to see that you were satisfied for a few short decades while you were here on earth. He had a much bigger purpose in mind. Your eternity. And so he wasn't only concerned about your physical needs, but about your spiritual needs and where you would spend eternity. And it is precisely because of the action that he came into this world to take that we don't have to be afraid of the verdict of, of judgment and condemnation. That we don't have to be afraid of the hell that our sins deserve. Now, I know that's probably not a very popular topic at Christmas time to bring up, up hell, but you realize the irony, the, the, the very fact that, that we don't have to talk about hell 
stems from Christmas and what Jesus came to do? Jesus came into this world to take action. He took on human flesh. He took on the law and perfected it. He took on our punishment and endured it. He took on our sin and he paid for it. Jesus took on hell and overcame it. He took on death and destroyed it. Jesus came to take action. And he came to take action for people like you and me who don't. People who make promises to others and ourselves and break them all the time. We minimize them, we downplay them, we don't think much of them. But Jesus came to do what we could not. Now, we could be, we could be filled with guilt and self-deprecation as, as we go into this new year and are mindful of all the things we said we were going to do that we don't. But Jesus came at Christmas so that we wouldn't have to carry that guilt into a new year or any time for that matter. But that as soon as it hits and the law does its work, we can let it go and be thankful and grateful that Jesus came into the world to act on our behalf. So instead of bringing that guilt and self-deprecation, that shame into a new year, let's take a page out of Isaiah's book and do exactly what Isaiah did and encourages us to do. I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised. Let us commit this year to doing that very thing, to tell about the deeds of the Lord that are praiseworthy. And maybe unlike we have in the past, let's not just say that we're going to do a thing and not have good intentions to do it, but by God's grace to fervently with the energy and the zeal that, that the Spirit provides us in this new year to actually follow through and take action to do what he calls us to do, to tell others about a Savior who was born into this world to take action for them. May that carry you into this new year, the joy of Jesus' birth still as, as the season winds down, but as you carry that confidence in your Savior's accomplishments for you into the new year. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Amen.